Hello and welcome to episode 397 of the Creighton Crowbar, a podcast all about gaming. My name is Tom Senior and I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Britton. Hello. Hello, Jamie. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jamie, uh, our listeners will be really familiar with you from our film and telly podcasts and things that we've done before. Am I right in saying this is the first time you've been on one of the sort of big gaming ones? Yes, it is. It's awesome. Um, I've really enjoyed, you know, podcasting with you guys over the last few months. And so, yeah, it's uh, very nice to be asked onto one of these ones. Yeah. And like, uh, so we played uh, games together and like, I've felt like you've got a really good, uh, interesting perspective on games as well. So I wanted to sort of, sort of set the stage by asking you what you enjoy about games, what your favorite games are, um, and also how you tend to play at the moment or how, what your history with games is as well. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> it's, it's, I, you know, it's, um, kind of video games kind of always been a passion since I was very young. Um, my parents got me, I had an Amiga A1200, which, oh, my, which yeah. my dad bought me. I don't know where he got the money from because those things were really expensive and we were not, you know, rich. <laughs> uh, so he got me one of those. And on that, I played games like, um, well, like lots of demo, lots of demos. You know, you get Amiga Power and, and get the demos off that, yeah, um, sure. which is pretty cool. And then I loved playing all the um uh, Sierra Online adventure games like Space Quest and and then uh, all the LucasArts games like Monkey Island. I think Monkey Island 2 came on something like 13 discs. It was just an absolutely sure logistical yep. nightmare to try and play it. But I mean, like what I loved about those games is that they were funny and they were full of really um, wonderful um, writing. Um, and for a long time, I think uh, games were kind of uh, about narrative to me and about storytelling. And I was always really sniffy about my friends who were kind of playing things which were a bit more mechanical. You know, I, like I played Final Fantasy VII like everyone else, but I enjoyed it as a kind of mad fantasy, you know, novel rather than a, rather than I couldn't understand why people got so into all the mechanical stuff um, and all the kind of what I would probably uh, see as being kind of quite a distasteful amount of numbers and figures and statistics. It's <laughs> sort of like, what, what a base enjoying, what a base way of enjoying a game. I was such a tosser back then. And then... <clears throat> That kind of continued, and then sort of into my 20s, I realized I was, I mean, I, I always loved, you know, I, I always had a passion for them, and I used to hang out with some of the PC Zone uh, lots um, back yeah, in the sure. day, after meeting them off on the internet and stuff like that, so, you know, I kind of sort of uh, always kind of had a little toe in that world, um, but like, when I was in my 20s, I realized that games were kind of, just felt really valueless to me. Like I'd buy them, I'd play like half of them or play like, you know, a little bit of, you know, The Last of Us or a lot of those like big narrative games and just sort of find myself uh, feeling really left cold by them. And I was actually listening to sort of um, uh, when I started to have a l less time on my hands in my life. Uh, so when my uh, little girl was about to be born and stuff like that was when I was first started listening to um, this great podcast called The Crate and Crowbar, where they were talking about like games like Spelunky and, and stuff like that, where you guys were talking about that. And that came along at the same time as sort of getting into Bloodborne as well. And so those two games were pretty foundational for me in kind of reframing how I thought games could be and should be, like rather than these like narrative forms, which were about kind of getting story into you they could be this, this sort of thing where you kind of create your own stories almost out of this out of these systems and stuff like that and sort of those two games I'd say were the ones that kind of cracked me and since then I've just been like 
you know, going going completely rogue. I play Dwarf Fortress now. I play mm. systems heavy JRPGs. You know, I, I play all the stuff that I used to kind of really disdain. And there's such like majesty majesty down there. You know, I was an idiot for uh, <laughs> for swearing off that stuff for so long. Um, because yeah, there's a, it's kind of there's some extraordinary games being made, and, and particularly in this sort of indie space. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I love a roguelike. I love a souls like, <laughs> you know. I love um, uh, uh, anything which I can plow hundreds of hours into. You know, one of my favorite games of all time is um, the Binding of Isaac, which I remember yeah. seeing years ago when it was first out, and just thinking like, "What the fuck is this? This doesn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense at all." Yeah. And like now, I've put hundreds and hundreds of hours um, into it, and I'm just still completely fascinated by it and all that sort of stuff. So is yeah, just kind of just kind of an obsessive obsessive nerd who. Uh, managed to be a bit less of a snob about the whole thing eventually <laughs> no I, I do i do apologize we did in the early days talk about spelunky uh, quite a lot so i hope there isn't a sort of stockholm syndrome element to uh <laughs> you coming around to you know this systemic roguelike um but i think bonnie Isaac is a great co- a sort of um melding of just a, a really compulsive uh roguelike game uh, session game which also just has interesting dark themes uh behind it and a real kind of psychology behind it that uh, perhaps you know for me that that fused both of those camps uh i would say yeah it's i mean if you play um the last um expansion that they just put out repentance which is the kind of ending of uh of the binding of isaac um it's amazing like they they round off the story like absolutely beautifully and heartbreakingly as well lots of people talk about like crying at certain sequences in it because it's like I mean, I don't think Spelunky's made many people cry, at least not for that reason. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was also listening to Crate and Crowbar over the years and like hearing like you guys talk about something like Mortal, which is never a game I would have imagined myself playing, you know. But hearing mm. Chris Thurston enthuse about that, it's like, wow, it's like a game where you sort of cut people's heads off and everyone's just screaming at each other and <laughs> everyone nice. on the chat channel's the worst person in the world. And it's just like, oh, I've definitely got to, got to try that out, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, have you sort of moved into multiplayer games more recently, or was that always a kind of like? Because I feel like um, me and you, we played um, a bunch of Deep Rock Galactic that we'll come on to talk to, talk about. But it feels as though you've enjoyed like chivalry and other games like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love. Um, I think. I think like anything like out and out competitive. I'm never really gonna gonna go for. Um, but anything that has a team-based element, I think, is really good fun. I always loved a co-op game. You know, I always loved Streets of Rage um, mm. on the Sega and stuff like that, much more than I I enjoyed, like, Street Fighter or something like that. Something where you can work together. It always seems like you spread the sense of failure over a much <laughs> larger space. I mean, I remember playing um, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter on uh, oh, Dial-Up really? Internet. It was so, so good. Um, but the way I played that was with my mate sitting in a chair next to me and he would like be like diverting shields and moving power around the uh, spaceship while we were playing. So it was a kind of cooperative ah, experience, anyway. Fantastic games. So yeah, um, really wonderful. Yeah. And and I've always I've always really enjoyed that experience. And it does feel like, for all the talk of toxicity um, and you know horrible players, which I you know I've of course encountered if I ever play like an out and out deathmatch game, but like in a lot of these like co op focused games. Um, uh, you know, Vermintide or Deep Rock Galactic or or Chivalry Two. Um, like the communities are lovely. 
which is this really like surprising yeah. thing. Like I see almost no toxicity in any of those places at any of any point. It's actually for all the horrors of the gaming industry, and particularly since Gamergate, there are actually some like open spaces which are still really nice and welcoming to people, which is you know it's easy to forget. I think in this in this time. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good. Um point actually and it's in, we touched upon when we were playing deep rock galactic together so it seems sensible to move on to to that game a fantastic co-op game um, but also uh i've just had tremendous experiences with you and just playing separately with uh, just random players dropping in being really helpful and if they don't like like you know like your play style or if, they, if you're not good enough they just leave and they don't you know they don't just like leave horrible messages for you it's just it's just uh, it was a lovely experience. So I wonder if you could sort of lay out how you got into it and you know what, what, what you reckon about it. So my um, it was my uh, brother-in-law, uh, Tom, who uh, recommended it for me when I was just mm. thinking about getting into playing something uh, a bit more co-op-y and a bit, you know, we, we'd played a bit of Hunt Showdown, but that's like a really stressful game. And like, yeah. yeah uh, um, so D-Rock Galactic or something, uh, he suggested that he plays for Chill. He's got like 700 hours in it, which is insane to oh, me. Oh, wow. But... <laughs> Yeah, so Deep Rock Galactic is a game where you play a bunch of dwarfs who are going down to this planet to mine a bunch of uh, uh, sort of minerals and, and various things out of the surface of this planet. And um, uh, it is a co-op game, basically. I think they've described it as like Minecraft and Left 4 Dead sort of smashed together, which is about yeah. right, I think. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, based around teamwork. You have um, different classes of dwarf. Um, who do various things, you know, some have means of transportation or, uh, you know, lights that they can set up or turrets they can set up and stuff like that. You've got a whole range of equipment you can bring to bear on this stuff. Um, and then, you know, you have a kind of season pass style progression as well as like upgrading your materials and, and uh, your equipment and stuff like that. Um what it does amazingly well, I think, is with a relatively small palette, is give you a kind of wonderful space for expression and teamwork. Mm. It, like, it's not an enormous game. I mean, it's sort of, in my head, it fits a similar sort of purpose as something like Destiny 2, in that it's a game that you can kind of chase your own goals in and sort of, um, you know, sort of spend time as a sort of hangout space in there as well. But obviously, it doesn't have anything like the budget or something like that. So the, as I say, the play space is quite small. There are a set of biomes and, um, uh, and you know, a set of different kind of tasks you have to do. And even though the proc gen levels are often very beautiful, and you know, as my brother-in-law with six hundred hours tells me, like still like managed to surprise him, they're not really the star of the show. The star of the show is the is the experience and the vibe. Mm. Um, of it, which I just think is so perfectly pitched. You have this kind of drop-in, drop-out function. Like, I do get kicked from games occasionally, you know, um, and there's a function on it where you can explain to people why you kicked them. And, like, one of the, like, pre-selected messages is, like, I'm sorry, but I have my reasons. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes that can mean it's, like, you know, you fucked up too many times in the level. But sure. even, that's only happened to me a few times. And even when that happens, it's so easy to find a new game. Um, and so easy to just start again with someone else, then it, it just simply doesn't matter. Um, so that's yeah, forgiving, that's a very forgiving reason. I, I kind of, I like the language. I, I think you're right that the space it creates comes from a bunch of just the way that it allows 
people to express themselves is kind of always polite and inherently um, has a graciousness to it. But which seems silly for uh, you know uh, a game about dwarves with big beards going into drill spiders. Um, but like even in the kind of social areas where you can, there's like a bar area where you could just have a pint and a random effect will happen to you. You might sort of triple in size or you might just fall over. And the kind of the playfulness of all of that and also the playfulness of the uh, the default communications that are allowed within the game do create a really, really consistent tone that I found extremely friendly and definitely has cultivated a good community. Yes, you can just say rock and stone, which is a phrase which <laughs> yeah. rings out constantly um, through the game uh, and sort of never gets old, amazingly. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's something about the narrative um, setup of the whole thing which which kind of um, serves that purpose as well. Like a lot of these games where you're kind of character-focused or avatar-focused, you know, they might have, you know, I mean, if you think of something like Overwatch, which I know is, you can't really compare in, in the completely but like the way that the characters you're playing that are this like you know um you know diverse set of um kind of sexy people <laughs> um you know who are all these kind of um you know cross shining of all these kind of, yeah they? all these yeah. kind of uh, and like in in drg you're just these like you're all fat ugly dwarves <laughs> and you're all you're fat ugly comedy dwarves on a kind of job um, who desperately wants to unionize, but yeah. uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, that's, cannot. That's right. And they just kind of, they, they have this kind of attitude about them, which is sort of a mixture of kind of, um, uh, you know, weary um, pissed offness about their situation, but also just a kind of willingness to, to go and collect things. They've got kind of, um, I don't know, it's a very unique attitude they have, which is like, oh, well, off we go. This is what we're doing now, you know. And, hey, and again, hey, there's yeah. there's something about that, you know, they sort of cheerfully slag each other off. It's got that kind of vibe to it. So there's a little bit of aggression built into it mm. and a little bit of bants built into it, which means that the players don't have to like bother with that. They can just mm. focus on um, having fun and and sort of working together. Um, and yeah, I, I've been like, you know, I've plugged in a whole bunch of hours in the last couple of weeks um particularly it's it's got a new season pass which is you know an enjoyable numbers go up uh type thing and they got some great guns in there like i just unlocked like a, a big laser cannon thing um which is really good fun to use and it has you know um it has a nice and grokkable uh, progression sort of system where you're kind of you know you promote dwarfs which basically means you sort of reset their levels but that gives you more perks for them and stuff like that like it's all pretty mechanical that way um, but playing on the higher difficulties is insanely, um, well, I mean, th- th- it's just insane. Like <laughs> you can, you can play up to sort of level five, which is a, a difficulty you have to unlock. And once you're there, it's this really interesting feeling because it suddenly becomes almost, um, if you're playing on that, on that mode or you're playing on their deep dives, which they do, which are like a series of very hard missions in a row that you have to do with the same resources. And then it becomes something else, actually. It becomes really tricky, really teamwork-focused, and it has this really interesting feel of, like, barely keeping everything together, barely keeping everything under control, right. which, when you're getting it right, is, like, really exhilarating. So you've got the the gunner, like, laying down fire. You've got the driller making paths um, through the level, 
um, you know, and, and you've got other dwarfs scouting around and, and tagging uh, minerals to use and all this sort of stuff. And when it's working together, you're kind of holding back these swarms of bugs that are, are coming. But what can happen is if one person sort of fucks up at their at their job or at their uh, you know their task at hand, it can all go so badly wrong, and you suddenly mm. get these kind of robots flying out of the dark, and uh, you know they've added all manner of kind of beasts and weird things and weird set piece events and stuff like that. And when they're all popping off in these kind of procedural generated spaces, it can feel like really chaotic in a really like fun way. Um, and even when it all fucks up. You'll often get, you know, people in the chat who chat's mostly silent, just kind of laughing. A lot of the attitude you see there is just like, well, that was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, that huge explodey lava monster came out, and then another one came straight after it, and then that robot janitor guy exploded, and you know, it's all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I just think it's a really, um, uh, like, nice fraternal experience playing that playing that game. Yeah, it sounds as though they've actually built proper sort of raids into it like you know sort of the the emotional experience of a raid even if it might i think it's it sounds like the encounters are complex but probably not as complex as the kind of uh world of warcraft or you know mmo raids but it sounds as though they require a degree of coordination that elevate them from other normal encounters in similar games even yes i'd agree it's not too much coordination it's just the right amount but you know the the possibility space is never so enormous you know i I, you know i played a little bit of dota and a little bit of lol and like yeah the the complexities of that game are just you know i'm never gonna i'm never gonna get vast they're vast and you know and 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 all the all power to them and even like you know i've played a couple of destiny raids and i just don't have the mind for it I don't have the, you know, like the reasoning skills to be able to perform the kind of complex series of, of kind of, you know, things that you must do. But like in DRG, well, it's just going to be, well, you know, you're just going to shoot some stuff and you're going to blow some stuff and you're going to get good at running away, you know. Um, and that's that's a really, a really satisfying uh, thing they've built there, I think. I really enjoyed the pacing uh, of what we played to, together because um, there were suddenly like intense combat encounters, which were exciting and uh but then there were real just nice bits of calm downtime where you'd sort of mine some rocks off the walls that are a different color and gather them and then put them in your uh, dog bucket robot that <laughs> follows you everywhere, uh, which is adorable. And that's uh, hilariously all the bugs of the game just really insult that poor robot who <laughs> has to follow <laughs> you everywhere and just sort of carry your stuff. Uh, so there are these sort of moments of uh, you know excited combat, but then moments that felt like gardening, like yeah. just just channeling through chunks of rock to try and find better paths, uh, just channeling through to get uh, trying to get up to a seam that's glowing on the roof uh, that perhaps I could use uh, my sort of uh, you know grappling hook to get to or set up a, one of us could set up a line that other people could uh, surf up um, on this on this line. I love that mechanic and it's very very funny to watch. All of this is just very slapstick and funny to see as well. So. If you shoot a, a kind of a zip line, uh, pretty much anyone can go up it, uh, and they can also fire on enemies while they're slowly going up it. So you get these hilarious like three zip lines and three dwarfs, one in each zip line, facing different directions, firing their guns, and it's just I can't. It's hard to capture even in screenshots how funny it is. It's very, <laughs> very, very funny, uh, and it, but it also just it's also tense. Like uh, in those moments, you're trying to really desperately place that zip line in the right place so that it will help your teammates to get up to that next place um 
So I found it to be like just a really nice contrast of moods, even just in a kind of one hour session. Yeah, and it can really pop off as well. Like, you mm. know, like when there's, you know, there's, they have mutators on the level and one of them yeah. is just like, there's going to be lots of explodey little creepy things here that when you shoot them explode, you know, and that can entirely transform a space. One of the things I actually really love about the game is at the end of a mission, particularly a long one where you're like running back to your drop pod, um, and you look back and you see how much you've transformed this space. You put lines yeah. everywhere, your platforms, everything's blown up. And, um, you know, you've kind of uh, completely transformed the, the the kind of landscape of this space in, in the time you spent there. And I really, I really love that feeling. It's kind of really, a really unique feeling. And they do this big epic thing where you all run into the escape pod and everyone mm. goes rock and stone. And then you sort <laughs> of, uh, you all uh, blast off into the sky Um uh, yeah, it's 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 a really uh, it's a really kind of fun feeling to do that. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really cozy place to spend time. That game, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know they're adding to it more and more, and I think it's uh, it'll be really interesting to see where they they take it. You know, you buy the base game, and then they haven't done any DLC or anything. They've done some like cosmetic packs and stuff like that. Um, but it's nice to be able to just buy a game and just that's it. <laughs> you know, you just got the game now and yeah. they're going to keep adding to it um, for quite a long time, I think. It's come on so, so far. Uh, so I saw it at preview, um, like before it was out. And I, I can't remember if it was in early access, but it's definitely sort of been just layering on development, just kind of progression uh, after progression. And the amount of kind of customization you can apply to your dwarves and the leveling up and the weapons you can unlock and stuff like that has made it just uh, even more uh moorish so it's it's definitely one i'm gonna keep up with um some of the things that, some of the things they do really interesting are the, are the kind of mutators that they put on levels like often right. i find those things you know just like adding needless challenge but like there's things key, like yeah. there's things like um there's levels which are oxygen depleted so you have to oh yes you're constantly running out of air so you have to run back to your uh, molly or or your um you know your something or other to, to 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 reload your your air and that just you know in theory that could be really tedious but actually it makes it really fun and frantic and crazy you know yeah and it's like it's clearly i think inspired by the underwater bits of sonic the hedgehog you know just like, <laughs> <laughs> um and like also like just to say i mean it's kind of the magic of it's gone a little bit because i've played it so many times but like the drill dozer levels where you basically are um, piloting a big underground tank as it chews through um, the ground. Um, uh, it will stop a couple of times and you have to refuel it by firing these fuel canisters at oil shale on the walls and then refueling them. And then you bring it into a big cavern where there's a heart stone, which is like a big like encrusted ball, and your drill dozer is going to fire a big laser at it. Uh, and then all these kind of crazy orbs are going to come out of the ground and you've got to shoot those and then waves of enemies are going to come and uh, you're going to fight those off and then eventually uh, you know you're going to be able to get this heart stone out of the um, out of the inside of this thing which then gets strapped to the top of your molly because it's too big to go inside Um, (laughs) and like it's such an amazing like technical exercise like I don't Mm. understand anything about anything but the first time I played it I was just like what the fuck is this this is like this is this like big digger going through this procedural space right. and I'm like fending off these enemies. I don't know how they're doing it. It's just this kind of real magic experience. Um, and I think actually the first time I did it, I did it solo and it was just this kind of extraordinary, you know, 
feeling of like being miles beneath the surface of this planet, mm. you know, kind of pitched against um, uh, the elements. And yeah, I just, it's just, it's really something. <laughs> no, I, I, you're absolutely right. I think, um, as you mentioned earlier, like Minecraft is is kind of a good touchstone because I think perhaps we haven't um, exaggerated enough how destructible the environments really are. Like as far as I could tell, almost everything could be destroyed or changed or drilled or bombed, yeah. and uh, it's uh, the, the so these arenas are changing shape all the time. And um, most of the enemies I've fought in the game are actually wall crawlers or ceiling crawlers, like, and they are able to navigate that changed scenery. That this is kind of like nerdy stuff that tends to go wrong in other games, but for this, it just absolutely works. I think it's, a, it's just a quite an achievement. I mean, I mean, I guess it must be. Uh, I mean, they're all basically spiders, which must be part of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. yeah, that does help. <laughs> like I'm sure. Pretty much everything in the game either flies or is a spider, or yeah, quite a lot of them true. are both. Um, but I mean, that does you, you do get that like they're coming out of the goddamn walls vibe, Definitely. you know, many many times. You got this like clipped British announcer who's you know faintly uh, faintly above it all, sort of saying like, "Oh no, you've got some terrible beasties Enemy's coming your coming way, in. lads." Mm. <laughs> Um, but again, he's kind of, he occupies, he ends up occupying a, a kind of place in your heart, that guy, because he's kind of, <laughs> he's just a, sort of this constant um, companion uh, on these quests. Yeah, he makes the best out of every absolutely disastrous uh, employee uh, kind of lawsuit that is about to happen to your poor, poor dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> he, there's a funny moment I was playing it earlier, and he, he chimes in often when you're, when you're doing your assignments, you know, basically like your bounties and destiny. And as you go through each stage of them, He'll kind of come on and sort of say, "You're doing well. You're you're progressing very well to your objective." And today I played it, and he said, um, "Well done, uh, Miner. You've completed your assignment." Oh, oh no, wait, you haven't. You've still got two to go. <laughs> it really made me laugh because I was like, "Oh really? Oh thank God, I finished it." Oh, no. <laughs> got it. Yeah, no, I I and I just I just really recommend it. It's such a. I know there's loads of people on the Crate and Crowbar Discord who who play it because. Uh, you know, for exactly the reasons we we talked about, it's it's just a really good hangout game. Maybe the best hangout game I've played. I can't think of of many like that. Like actually, Hunt Showdown had that nice mixture of like downtime and mm. and shooty bang times. But it's so like stressful <laughs> when it's shooty bang times that uh, and the feeling that you could just be shot at any moment by a real person is is just too much to bear. I think. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and also those, you know, the powerful and very effective horror uh, yeah. tropes that you know are super effective uh, are also obviously by design going to distract you from fun chats with friends and that kind of stuff. So uh, I think this just strikes really great balance that some, most other games don't in this genre. Well, I think it's just uh, I think it, I mean I think they're Scandinavian the the uh, developers yeah and, mm. and like you know that 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 sort of part of the world has that kind of culture of sort of you know coziness and togetherness and and kind of you know I'm sure that's me overstating it massively and is a huge cliche but I do just kind of really appreciate that there are game devs out there like thinking about this stuff and thinking about mm. like a player like me who's never going to be the most skilled at anything really um and is never going to be able to like rock anything too complicated but loves to play and loves to kind of be in something chaotic and out of control and just like making a making it you know possible for me to kind of do that it's just a really nice you know it's it's sort of the same thing that animal crossing is is to other people right yeah so, yeah, yeah. I, just, I think it's really nice that gamers are being thought about in that way um yeah rather than a bunch of like barbaric 
demons form. <laughs> Murderers, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the idea that, um, like, optimistically, I like the idea that games, like indie games, and, you know, lots of games have inspired people to think about gamers not in the, uh, to kind of reject the traditional gamer in some ways. Um, obviously, of course, I mean, I love a bit of Battlefield, I love a bit of Call of Duty occasionally. Um, so I, I'm, you know, supposedly the traditional audience for, for for a lot of the mainstream games but i love that so many games are finding these audiences who just want to chill out and there's a lot going on and it's just really nice to have a game like deep rock galactic that where you could just, just camp out with friends mine some stuff if you want to um if you want that slightly more intense experience you can do those almost raid like challenges um uh and just increasingly like, lots of games are finding that niche and I, yeah, it's, it's great. I, lo- I love Animal Crossing as well for similar reasons, almost. So it's, it's almost meditative, like the, the idea of, oh, I'll just dig up some plants and sell them, <laughs> sell them parsnips on, it's Tuesday, I'll sell them parsnips. Uh, that's actually just very, very pleasant. And it's well, a simple pleasure. But It's a nice a mix of, of like allowing you to sort of set your own goals, but just giving you enough direction so it doesn't seem aimless. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's that's a real like it must be very. It's a hard thing to get right, and I think in this era of like season passes and you know all that kind of stuff, it can it's quite easy to, um, you know, uh, you know, get overloaded with these things or feel like mm. you have to do too much. And Destiny's very guilty of this. But like in in DRG, yeah. the season pass is just another computer in the base, and you go up to it and you collect your little um, tokens from it, and that's it. Um, and it's a little hit of. Um, endorphin but not too big you know not so much that you feel like you have to constantly <laughs> be on it you know oh, i haven't checked out that machine for a while i'm gonna have a look at it you know it's it's uh it's uh, great in that way i think yeah I've, I've bounced hugely off destiny uh last year and which is probably a topic for another time but uh especially because I'd, I'd like to hear from uh like chris and other people who've you know uh c- continued to engage with it but it just became an absolute nightmare of interlaced objectives um and it, it just it became very difficult to find what the fun part was um, for me. So, yeah, I mean, I this was the first the the most recent Destiny expansion was the first one I didn't buy, um, which is you know I felt a little bit of sadness about because it's you know um, uh, I always in, I always enjoy you always get a good amount of fun out of those things. Um, but I just knew from experience that it wasn't going to be quite enough to justify, you know, the cost. And also, they've been like taking the piss with the amount of money they've been charging, um, yeah, for some of their like content. I think, and it's, with limited funds, it's kind of. I just thought, no, nah, I can spend that same money on a on a bunch of like you know cutesy or indie games, roguelikes, probably, which have, you know, lots of um, replayability and and stuff like that. Whereas Destiny, there's always a moment where I'm just like. Because I always, I sort of want it to be my forever game because I love, mm. I love a lot about it. But there's always a point where it just stops being fun <laughs> and starts being a chore. Um, and I kind of, I wish that didn't happen, but it does. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, a lot of the sort of um, onboarding is a, a massive mess. Where I've been sort of guided into modes where my character was massively underleveled, and it was difficult to see how or why to I could achieve the arena kind of goal arena mode that they wanted me to do and then i realized oh that's the thing you're supposed to do after you've completed x arc and you've probably leveled up this weird uh part of your character it's just gotten out of control for me but then that's just because i'm sure if i put the time in 
I used to love that game so much. Uh, it's some of my favorite uh, multiplayer competitive and co-op experiences that have been with Destiny um, 1 and 2. So I feel kind of like sad that I've lost it in a way because it's just uh, given you know how much obviously, uh, I love games and they are a part of my life and career. Um, for that to sort of like disappear, but I, I think I've done with it, which is... Yep. Uh, interesting i mean i i hope to go back to it eventually I, I, you know I, mm. i've sworn off it before and then kind of you know just when i'm out they pull me back in um, yeah, yeah that's true. I, me too. And I, you know i i do love that it exists because it's completely mad and you know the <laughs> fact that it's so huge and ungainly that they keep having to cut bits off it and <laughs> that's, store yeah. them for a rainy day and kind of yeah, yeah um you know piss off a bunch of people and you know uh, and then make another bunch of people really happy that they don't have to do a certain thing again i mean like i i appreciate that it exists I feel good for the like ultra fans of it because I just think they must have the absolute time of their life in that game. Yeah. If you can p- commit to it um, in the way it wants you to commit to it, you must just be like absolutely flying free with that stuff. Um, but and I think a... for most people, it is a little bit hard to kind of play at that level. It's just too much. <laughs> I think it's hard to pass. It's still undoubtedly just an immense shooter. Um, I can't fault how good it feels to play on both pad on a. Uh, you know, PlayStation or and on PC, yeah. they feel incredible. Uh, so, I mean, Bungie are masters, no doubt, no doubt that they've got like immense skills and they know how to make things feel amazing and know how to make you know amazing games. Uh, I think it's just the ecosystem of it, which is it's weird that we, we we talk so much these days about games ecosystems <laughs> and whether they're worthwhile. Um, and I feel as though that's one of the nice things about Deep Rock Galactic is that it's quite a light touch ecosystem. There's definitely lots of progression there, but there's no season pass. There's no insistence to constantly get the better thing. You just play, have fun, hang out. And yeah, I, I like that. I like that level of engagement. Yes. And okay, I guess when Destiny's at its best, like when you're playing through some of their like new campaign content, you're like, this is like... The amount of like care and love oh, and yeah. attention to detail that's gone into this location they built, you know, this is in no way procedural. This is like a, a like a, mas- a masterclass in design stuff like that, and that obviously costs money and that obviously costs time. And I, I guess they'll hopefully they'll come a point where they can they can sort of really integrate, <laughs> you know, that kind of your investment with the experience because I think it's sometimes a little bit hard to kind of see where your money's going, uh, and you sort of can't see the wood wood for the trees. Um, because when it when it's popping, you know, I I, I played the um, Beyond Light expansion and, and mm. Europa, just like what an extraordinary location! Uh, incredible. It just is yeah. amazing. Those sands, those sandstorms, those like snowstorms that blow in, and you know, everyone, uh, those kind of you know p- encountering sort of crazy robot monsters through the mist. It's, it's just great. It's, it's no one no one can do anything like to that degree really, uh, like they can. Yeah, you're right. I, also, I love how I've, I've, I. It was insistent that I wouldn't complain about Destiny or talk about Destiny, and then talked about it for ten minutes. So <laughs> apologies to everyone. I will say, I mean, I know you, you guys aren't doing news anymore, but like um, Bungie kind of coming out um, uh, very vocally in the last couple of weeks about um, you know the terrible stuff that's going on there with the Roe v. Wade stuff, and just sort of you know, oh yeah, of course, Bungie saying it's good to see that yeah. saying fuck it to sort of Sony, who've been you know incredibly mealy mouthed to say the least, and have yeah. and okay. Bungie yeah. going. You know, we don't agree with this. I thought was very admirable. Uh, I agree, absolutely. What have you been playing, Tom? So I have been playing a deeply silly game, perhaps <laughs> even a sillier game 
than the dwarf game we just talked about. Uh, I've been playing Injustice 2, uh, a beat-em-up uh, based on the DC universe from Nether Realms. Uh, I love their fighters that they do also, or the modern Mortal Kombat games. They're exceptional single-player experiences um, just for having just incredibly intricate single-player campaigns with hours and hours of cutscenes and you know voice acting and every character so at the start of every fight in a beat-em-up two characters face off um and in this game almost every character has a specific like riposte to the particular character they're facing off against it's a bit like speaking of monkey island you know the fencing game uh where uh the skill isn't in the fencing it's in the actual you know uh the the you know the retort that you get trash talk yeah the trash talk like every character has a retort for every other character in the game <laughs> and there are dozens of characters and i i the sheer amount of just work and stuff that's gone into it is to me wild for something that's so enjoyably stupid <laughs> uh, and I, i've greatly enjoyed it first of all um uh these games are actually like i find them to be really sharp and exciting fighters they're like they're technically very very good and uh they're like uh they are they require a lot of snap reactions that i as an increasingly old man (laughs) cannot really quite do but uh there's still like plenty there to enjoy as a single player you know a person who enjoys beat-em-ups um perhaps you want to you know I found like Street Fighter and Tekken's single player campaigns to be, you know, a bit tedious. Whereas this one has like loads of cutscenes, loads of character involvement. Uh, and there's also, uh, in Injustice 2 in particular, unlike the other um, NetherRealm games, there's a gear system where you can unlock a new hat for Batman <laughs> or, uh, in a particular fight, a new sort of pair of trousers for The Flash. Um, or a new sword, a new sword for you know uh, Wonder Woman or whatever, um, and I have captured some of the item descriptions. <laughs> uh, so uh, just for you know, I, I think these are brilliant. By the way, this isn't like a criticism. It's just I love it. Um, so uh, this item is uh, Harley Quinn's arms. Uh, they're called Durable Gotham Psychiatric Arms, and. <laughs> And they grant her ten extra health, which is uh, obviously obviously <laughs> fantastic. Um, good for her. So the Flash torso, a very important part of the Flash. Yes, obviously. <laughs> One would say perhaps the, the most critical part of the Flash. Um, solid Bart's uh, sorry, Solid Bart Allen's max speed suit. Who who's Solid Bart Allen? <laughs> Uh, obviously, uh, I, I, uh, by the way, before people, um, mail in, I know, I know a lot of these people are characters in, in the lore and stuff, but solid Bart Allen is like, just the worst Hideo Kojima kind of, uh, flex on this. Uh, um, so we've got, there's lots of Wonder Woman's legs, reinforced alloys, boots of war, oh, meaningless. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, the flash is just the weirdest one. I don't know why the Flash gets, just gets the best ones. Okay, so my uh, my second favorite, actually, this might be my most favorite of of the Flash, the Flash's um, items that I've unlocked so far, uh, 
Lethal Barry's super speed wings, <laughs> which are little sort of earpieces that he wears. Uh, that gives him plus 43 strength, which is, <laughs> which is obviously marvellous. Um, and actually, my, my favourite of all of them is uh, a pair of Superman's, uh, Superman's legs called a Lethal Bibbo's Blue Collar Pants. <laughs> Lethal Bibbo's Blue Collar Pants. <laughs> plus 47 strength on those ones. Um, and I, I, of course, I've, I did Google it, and Bibbo is a character in the universe. He seems to be like a trusty kind of uh, friend to Superman. Why is he lethal? Why is he lethal? Why, why is why why not solid? Why not solid? Yeah, Bibbo. Uh, so I've I've sort of hugely enjoyed this um, weird architecture of unlocks that exists within the single player uh, progression arc for uh, Injustice Two. Obviously, like it, I feel as though it fundamentally compromises it as a multiplayer game because you can't just have a character have extra health if it's supposed to be like a a game of skill where both players are judged on their reaction speeds and their ability to uh uh you know actually perform combos and counter their opponents and understand each character's strengths and weaknesses you can't just have a pair of trousers that does 47 <laughs> extra damage it just it just doesn't it just doesn't work but one of the things i like about another arms games is that they do commit to the single player aspect of things and that they, uh, and as I said previously, with um, uh, it, it just it's sometimes fine to let players break break the game in single player modes. Like if it's just a self contained story mode or a series of campaign missions where there's a, a kind of a progression of unlocks and things that let you get slightly better at defending uh, with your pants, then that's it. That's that's completely fine. Um, but it just feels like they, they it's, it's not a new game, but like they abandoned the multiplayer meta at that point and didn't want it to become a competitive game. And I quite, I find that quite refreshing for a fighter. Uh, honestly, like for a beat em up, I find that I really like that they are occupying that niche. And I'm really, really looking forward to what NetherRealm uh, do next. So that there is a like an equipment meta or, uh, in the multiplayer aspect of the game, or or there isn't. I I think you can. I think you like each character has a level. Uh, I'm yet to get involved in the multiplayer, and I likely won't. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, actually, I, I tried some Guilty Gear uh, multiplayer uh, quite recently, and oh uh, yeah, I was absolutely uh, destroyed. By every single uh, fight I went into, so um, <laughs> uh, you're not. Is it Guilty Gear Strife? It wasn't. It wasn't the most recent one. They released like everything for the previous game um, just before that game was announced, so you could get like that game and all of its content for a couple of quid, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, but I, I ended up only playing a tiny amount of it because, um, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a lot that game. <laughs> Uh, it is a lot, though. Um, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for quite how how, how insane uh, those games are. <laughs> so the the Guilty Gear games are fantastic. Uh, Strive is great. Um, uh, I would say that uh, it's one. It, the difficulty with those games. I wish they were a bit more like NetherRealm games. Uh, in that you could play single player through arcade 
and through individual matches and things like that. And that's really, really fun. Uh, and the AI is like really it just just the right level to be challenging um but i would say that they separate the story off into a separate whole anime series that you could also play within the game which is uh, i think a bit strange uh, oh god yeah there's like a whole massive anime movie in that guilty gear game i've forgotten about that yeah like um, literally a huge like seat like tv season long like epic it's um, hours and hours and hours of stuff <laughs> I I started it thinking that I'd get to actually do a fight every now and then, <laughs> but no, it never no, happened. You're just watching a movie. They're just talking. Also, they're just talking absolute nonsense. Like <laughs> they they they're just saying phrases that I just don't understand. Like ah <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, deeply unsatisfying single player experience in some ways. Uh, even though the Guilty Gear games are excellent, um, I think they're some of my favorite fighters in terms of the actual uh the variety of mechanics between each individual fighter uh animations and also visual presentation just that they're incredible um the do to um the do to fights from a bed in uh oh bedman yeah (laughs) bedman that is one of the most extraordinary creations (laughs) in video gaming ever i think it's just there is nothing like that it is no. completely insane. <laughs> There's also Faust, who's this uh, evil doctor with a bag over his head. Oh, yeah, that guy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he wheels a giant scalpel and opens doors to surgeries that he sucks people into. <laughs> Absolutely horrendous. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, I mean, uh, and of course, you know, the main character is called Soul Bad Guy. Yep. It's pretty so, good. <laughs> fair play. <laughs> Uh, they've won. I don't know what they've won. They've won something. Uh, but yeah, it was good. Um, so it just is too, I'd say, like, it's been out for a bit too long, I think, to get involved in the competitive aspect of things. But as a single player uh, escapade, if you're looking for something that's uh, like nine quid that you could pick up just to play for an hour or so and enjoy the cutscenes and experience some like really, really snappy, nice little fights. Um, I think it's. Uh, I, I still think it's like a, they've got a great niche, and I, I endlessly appreciate it. <laughs> who are you? Who are you maining at the moment in that game? Are you a, uh, a Batman guy, or it, it is the Batman? Um, <laughs> and I'll be honest. Uh, the, the reason is because the reason I even went back to this series uh, is because of the Batman podcast, podcast we did. Yes, uh, just the other week, and I was kind of interested in different depictions of the Batman, uh, and this one is the kind of all-seeing, all-knowing Batman who always has a plan for everything, which is kind of uh, a fun, yeah, a fun take on. You wanted to experience that. firsthand what it felt like to have the the power of the bat in your in your fists. In, in my fists, yeah. While you beat up Wonder Woman. <laughs> While I really just kicked the shit out of Swamp Thing, yeah. Um, that is what I wanted to do, and it delivered. So, Excellent. you know, great job. <laughs> Yeah, I've always I've always liked the look of that game. I do like the idea of. Um, uh, I mean, how did they do the Flash? Because obviously, he's very fast. Um, that's his mm-hmm. power. Like, do they does that play into it, or is it just kind of in the sort of uh, the special move aspect? Uh, so yeah, very much contained in the special move aspect. Um, the thing about the Flash, the thing about Superman as well is that <laughs> if you can't actually, you know. Uh, you can't actually, you know, 
realize their powers because no. they would just destroy anyone instantly because they would just all just leave. Like the Flash could leave. Yeah, like that's a, that's always <laughs> the thing, right? Uh, and like he can, he can leave so fast that time reverses. Superman can also do that. Like in I think mm. Superman two, I think he does that. All I can't remember. Um, uh, so yeah, so um, the Flash has it's just a lot of kind of neat visual flourishes where he'll uh, his hands will be a blur and then your character will freeze and then you'll be hit twenty times uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in thirty seconds. So, uh, that's how they sort of try to reflect it. Uh, and also, the Flash isn't such a great character. No, he's actually not the strongest. Like he's he's not better than Batman. Like Batman's just Batman's pretty good. And well, Superman's... I mean, like Batman can punch people really hard. That but is, it's in, it's impossible yeah. to simulate them the flash run moving at super speed. So it's hard to imagine, like, if he's not going to do that, <laughs> what is he going to do? I think like you just don't want to get into the deepest Reddit threads <laughs> where you start talking about what metric tonnage the flash yeah. uh, affects when he punches someone moving at his full speed. You just. I just this game is just. I thank you for just not engaging with that. Absolutely, <laughs> and just I, making them all look cool and be basically competitive. I was mostly. Um, I was flirting with. Uh, uh, I had Game Pass for a little while uh, last year. I just had to go go at that uh, when I briefly had an, an Xbox, and I had to go on the uh, most recent Mortal Kombat game. I think the last Mortal Kombat game I played was Mortal Kombat Two. <laughs> oh wow! Well, in I the late nineties or whatever, but I've obviously yeah, yeah. you know kind of it's bit, I've seen it on at parties and stuff like that it's quite a good party game um but like one thing i really love that they've done and i don't know how long they've been doing this is like instead of locking away like the fatalities and all that amazingly like horrifying violence they put <laughs> yeah. into the game they'll just give you one of those for free every every few fights so you mm. can just press a button and your character will do the fatality without you having to input anything complicated and I thought that was a really clever way of like letting people see all that stuff while still making it, you know, if it's something you want to do consistently, you have to learn the the inputs. But if you can't be asked to do that, like me, and you just want to play the game for, you know, 20 minutes and never again, you still get to see someone, you know, um, you know pushing a fibula into someone's brain and then, you know, sending it into the past like the Terminator does. <laughs> so, you know, all that sort of <laughs> yeah. crazy um, stuff they do there. Um yeah, so I, I wondered if they do anything like that in, in Justice, if they got any of that kind of audacity, uh, you know, kind of crazy level sort of punch god out of space Super type moves. stuff. Yeah. Oh, they, they certainly do. Every character has one, and um, you don't have to enter a big combo. You just press both of the triggers in That's on your, good. your stick. And, and it, uh, the trick is to, if they block, it's really embarrassing because the it just bounces off them completely like and to block um one of the reasons i really like this game in particular i love uh fighting games where you just have to hold back to block or back down and you know that's the dynamic for that so if you hold back and batman just goes for his big crazy uh super attack he just flumps off you and this is like a really dull <laughs> thunk and it's just deeply embarrassing when yeah. that <laughs> it's just like okay well i tried a thing it didn't quite go off but if it does hit, he rolls them over, um, he attaches a tether to their leg, um, and the balloon pops up and it floats into the sky, into uh, uh, you know uh, the stratosphere. And then uh, the bat plane comes in and it uh, hooks onto it 
sails up in front of the moon to make the back symbol and then falls down and shoots him with two machine guns <laughs> and uh, the final blow is a rocket and then they slam back into the arena so yes uh, it, the, the, in short yes that uh, they do have these ridiculous attacks um, what I will say about them is that they're actually um, the most combat ones are, are kind of disturbing and a bit crazy uh, I think uh, actually personally I'm, I'm fine with them because I, I'm fairly I'm used to violent video games and I know uh, Jamie you and I have played some Sniper Elite so <laughs> with uh, uh, shots of people in you know, x-ray horrible scenes yeah, but it's, it's very similar for those games whereas I would say that for Injustice it is very silly violence in a way that is just not as affecting and not as perhaps disturbing or you know problematic uh, for like I don't know um yeah, really... I mean, there's, there's got to be something problematic about some of the like meticulous uh, ways in which people are dismembered and destroyed in those in those Mortal Kombat games. I mean, those games are kind of doing the thing where they're kind of they're just it's so offensive. I guess I guess what they're kind of going for. I remember watching the end of um, uh, if you've ever seen uh, uh, the Tarantino movie about um, uh, slavery and, and cowboys, it's called Django. Django, Django, Django Unchained. Yes. Yeah. So in Django Unchained, the ending of Django Unchained, right, where he's like shooting all the slavers and they're just like gushing out of everyone, just blood exploding out of everyone to like a ridiculous degree. Yeah. And I remember I didn't like that movie hugely, but I remember thinking that ending was just glorious (laughs) because in that kind of even like by Tarantino's standards, you know, you're sort of laughing for me, you're laughing at how offensively gratuitous it is you know and i think that's a very hard thing to get right because if you get it wrong then it's just gratuitous and horrible but if you can sort of pitch it at the right level of gratuity then i think that can be uh, a lot of fun uh and the mortal kombat fatalities you know you can just watch like a you can watch a sort of you know a compilation of them on uh, on youtube and it's it really is can be quite fun to just see oh my god that's that's just so <laughs> so upsetting what they've done there. Yeah. I I always feel like I always wonder how much time it takes. I mean, obviously, all of this stuff takes loads of develop, development time. But who has to actually sort of administer uh, someone's points of someone's high heels going and bursting someone's eyeballs as a concept and actually realizing that in. <laughs> yeah, because there's no form. way to like blag your way into that job. You have to really, <laughs> really be good at doing that and at animating things and at, and at, at representing bodies and stuff like that. Like the artistry in that stuff is just extraordinary uh, for such for like ridiculous purposes as well. It's, of course, uh, yeah. yeah. It must be hundreds of hours going to those fatalities, thousands. You know, it's uh, amazing. So I would say that nothing in. Uh, Injustice 2 is so egregious. Uh, it is deeply silly, uh, over-the-top <laughs> superhero stuff, uh, all of the things that happen. Uh, and uh, I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of enjoy it more f- for just being so silly and also based in the superheroes, which are kind of in their, um, just kind of in their lane in a way, in the, you know, you don't, Batman's not going to rip someone's spine out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's uh, that it's a sort of 
normal <laughs> space for violence to exist in video games. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think these, if I remember the sort of dating on these right, they kind of slightly predate or at the very least harken back to an era where like fighting games could be this, like, um, mm. and, and like licensed superhero games could be this, like they're just going to fight, that's it. Um, we're not doing a big expanded... I mean, I know they have a universe in those games and you're saying that they have a story and everything like that, but it's a much more like 90s, noughties um, version of something rather than like the expansive um, sort of multifaceted MCU style take mm. on these things. It's, you know, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think it can be a, a you know, when you, if you read comics from the 90s, it's always like, you know, these mutants have been transported to this alien planet and we're going to force them to do battle. You know, it's like the plot of every like 50% of all comic books ever. And, and like, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's there's something, uh, maybe it's just nostalgia for me that I think so fondly on that kind of stuff. But yeah, as you, it's also interesting to think, what if NetherRealms did a Marvel game? They just probably couldn't do half the things they've done with DC because DC has um, set itself up as being perhaps a slightly more, you know, more gritty setting or more violent setting in some ways. I guess it depends where, like, I can't imagine Spider-Man messing someone up in the way that they do in the, you know, the Netherrealms DC games. Yeah, the idea of, like, um, some of their superheroes just sort of facing off and punching each other in the head doesn't quite scan. It's not quite on brand for Marvel, is it? You could, it whereas for DC, you can just sort of about, just about get away with it. <laughs> uh, so, Jamie, uh, aside from all that delicious hyper-violence, um, I hear you've uh, gained a Steam deck. And I've wondered what your experience has been with it. Yeah, I got one. Um, I uh, I was I managed to kind of be in the first wave of people who got them. So I got mine mm. like March or early April. So I've had it for a, a, a month or so now. Um, it's brilliant. I have to say it is really, really fantastic. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to take mine out much. Um, it's, mm. it's But it's really useful to kind of, you know, take in around the house and when you've got kids and stuff and sitting down on the sofa and, and having a quick go on it. Um, I think mainly for me, it's the sort of value of it, which is really striking. Like I, I'm i a sort of PC gamer at heart, but I had consoles for years and years and years because PC gaming, it just wasn't viable for me sort of financially. Uh, it's just It was just too expensive to right. sink, sink that money into a gaming PC. You know, I'm a TV writer. Everyone has a MacBook, you know, bar none. And so that had to be, you know, getting a, a solid, um, you know, kind of, macbook for sure. using word processing on there kind of had to be my priority so like for years i'd you know you can do a bit of steam gaming on macs but you know increasingly little these 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 you know as time goes on and apple get more and more kind of myopic about it and i'd also use like cloud gaming servers i managed to get into the nvidia geforce now beta which was really good and that was like that's what reminded me like how much fun i could have with pc games so like the steam deck was just like you know, my, my Switch was starting to show its age and yeah. my PS4. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, be able to get into the next generation of gaming a little bit at least. And the fact that the Steam Deck cheapest model, which is the one I got, is 350 quid, which is an amazing price for what is basically a mid-range, you know, gaming PC. Yeah. Um, you know, you can spend thousands on these things easily, as, as you know. So for me, it was just like, as soon as they were announced, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely what I need. <laughs> like, um and yeah, it, it basically just works. Um, you know, 
there's there's stuff with their kind of um, you know games that you know there are a few games that don't work or a few games that aren't ideal for it. But to be honest, if you're willing to put up with a bit of jank with those, it's fine. Like I've always wanted to play like Age of Empires two, and mm. I got that installed on it, and I've been playing that. And you know, you're playing with trackpads, and Age of Empires two has a kind of quite weird and arcane control scheme anyway, which involves like rapid clicking and like hotkeys and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but works perfectly fine on the Steam Deck. So to use that as an example, using the trackpads as mice, but then using the kind of customizable back buttons as the hotkeys to go back to your home base or create a new villager and stuff like that. So it's janky, but the um the jank is made up for by the fact that they've made it easy to customize it, particularly in terms of um, interface and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I played all of Elden Ring on it, um, and that was fantastic. Uh, um, I've been playing Deep Rock Galactic on it. It plugs into my monitor nicely, you know, with a little USB hub. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that basically serves as like a Nintendo Switch dock. Um, and for stuff for roguelikes like Burning of Isaac and, and Spelunky and, and all that kind of stuff, it just kind of works. I sort of think they might be onto a real winner with it, to be honest, if they can... I think the price point is is really impressive. Um, it feels really nice. You know, it's a big old thing. I mean, when you pick up a Switch after playing with it, it's kind of hilarious because <laughs> the Switch feels so, like, quaint and tiny uh, compared to it. Um, you know, it's an absolute beast, but the the ergonomics of it and how it's weighted um, and stuff like that are really clever. So it's not uncomfortable to use or, or anything like that. And as many have pointed out, like the sticks, the joysticks are, uh, you know, world-class in particular. They're just, oh, they're wow. just, they just feel really, um, really good to use. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, the other thing I'd say, it's an amazing emulation machine. Um, hmm. There's some genius on, on Reddit who's, who's put out a bit of software called uh, Emu Deck, which you just a little file you download and run, and it um, uh, just sets your your um, deck up for basically every emulator, and then you just you know get your legally obtained ROMs and put them put them on there as well. Uh, yeah, Emu's an old um, uh, touchstone for people who emulate things for yeah. sure. And uh, yeah, so it's just um, it's brilliant. Like uh, like I, I've been playing some like Dreamcast games, like playing Daytona USA on there, and that's been amazing. Really, really good fun. Like, um, and also, uh, what was the other things I've been like? I always have to get like Castlevania on there and get Symphony of the Night on there and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And it just it just looks really nice, and it's very easy to jiggle around the settings and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I it's kind of all there is to say about it, really. In that, like, the more they update the UI and make it a little bit user friendly. The more and the more games that become like you know playable on it or close to playable on it, you know, the more it just seems like a really, you know, wonderful bit of kit. Like um, just before we spoke today, I uh, there's an Epic Game Store sale that just started, and I've wanted been been wanting to play um, Darkest Dungeon two, which is Epic's game, Epic game exclusive at the moment. But you know, there's a there's the the heroic game launcher which runs through the Linux layer that Steam Deck mm. uses, so you can just download that. And then access the game, and it just works straight away out of the box, even though it's got hasn't got any of the sort of Steam customization on it. it. You know, you can do a little bit of that in the game's launcher itself. And I was just you know blasting away uh, on on Darkest Dungeon two just then. Uh, um, yeah, and so for me, who's kind of you know been locked out of that one way or another for quite a long time, it's it's just a really 
a really solid bit of kit, and I'm really, really glad I've got one actually. Because sounds great. So I'm in line for um, Q3, which will probably end up not... being like December or whatever. Um, yeah. But I went for the higher, like the, uh, the pricey one, just because I knew I, I knew I'd like it. Um, but I wondered, like, uh, at the very start of the conversation, there you said that you wouldn't necessarily take it out. And is that just because it's fragile or precious or, uh, yeah, it's curious. I mean, I probably will at some point, you know, I don't travel much. I mean, no one's been traveling much, have they? Uh, yeah. I think it's, I, th- I think for me, it's very big. Like mm. it really is big. And like at my switch, you, I could stick in my pocket, you know, and, yeah. and, and uh, you can literally, you can't put the steam deck in your pocket. It's a big old thing you have to take out with you. And I think for like a commute or, or something like that, it's just a little bit too unwieldy for that. Um, I think for a plane flight, it's, I mean, I can't wait to take a plane flight with it. That's going to be, <laughs> you know, amazing. Uh, I think it's perfect for that, particularly if you can plug it in because the battery life is is not good. Um, mm. But for me, that that's that's fine. It's perfect for me because, you know, um, you know just, just the logistics of having kids means you're often sort of turfed out of rooms or <laughs> turfed into rooms or, you know, only have a few minutes... Um, to you know kind of play a game or something and like i've taken to just leaving mine on um on uh what's it called um uh, the game where you uh, down well i was like the game where you fall down <laughs> well down well <laughs> um and like leaving it on that and then just bringing it out out of suspend every now and again you know so just like on the way back from the loo or whatever to my little office and and playing a few minutes of down well and then stopping i mean you can do that with a switch as well of course but um it's nice to have kind of whole library in there to uh to play along with downwell's fantastic by the way it's um the one of the simplest games you could imagine i am um, it's just purely about falling down and landing on enemies gaining uh, abilities that let you land on enemies better and bounce onto other enemies and so you fall into the deepest level it's extremely good, uh, good. But i, I can't imagine that... anyone finishing it it seems so hard i like it. it's <laughs> yeah. got such a like you know my skill ceiling has met a point on that game where it's just for now it's not moving I can get to the water level and then I then I die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really difficult, but it's extremely good. I played loads of it on my phone, uh, just on my, just a normal iPhone. Um, I wonder if there are like, any other particular games that really worked for you, or any games that kind of you didn't expect to work on a handheld format that just, did. I'm just having a look, I've just booted it up. Yeah, oh, make, make it be quiet. That's the darkest dungeon uh, music. Yeah, Binding of Isaac, um, that's a lovely one because it kind of has that sort of square level format, so that fits into it really well. Yeah. Um, Noita, um, which is really good. Um, uh, again, that was a game like I was desperate to play um, for years, but I couldn't because you know, it doesn't run on Macs and stuff like that. Sniper Elite, Spelunky, Spelunky's amazing on it. Um, you know, the kind of colors work really well. Um, Elden Ring, of course. Of course. Um, Jupiter Hell, the the like traditional roguelike. We're hopefully going to do a lock in about traditional roguelikes um, uh, quite soon. But like yeah, yeah. Steam Deck's great for that because the sort of you know um, uh, pause sort of dynamic of those things, a turn based thing means you can sort of pop them down and play them again. I had a great time. I've had a great time playing Sniper Elite Four on it. Actually, that's turned out to be a really ah, perfect game for it because yeah. because that is a game where like every level is a you know is basically made up of a you'll hear the little chime as i put this back to sleep is it gonna go no it's not gonna do it um every level is a kind of series of encounters you know 
Um, and so actually the Steam Deck's perfect for that to kind of boot up, shoot some guys in the testicles, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then sort of put it back down again and then play an- another little bit, you know, in the next couple of hours or something like that. So it does work. Their suspend function does work um, really well. And that means that you can turn, you know, sort of any game into a sort of little discrete series of encounters, which is which is really nice to do. That seems like a, a bit of a, a bit of a miracle they pulled off getting that to work. Yeah, that's like that suspend idea is really appealing. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to perhaps even downloading like Hitman and just if it can suspend and sort of pause and get those autosaves going. It's booting up to have a little wander around, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I haven't got Hitman Three yet, and I, I, I have played it. I played it on Xbox, um, but like I had exactly the same thought. Like, mm. there's something about being able to pick it up, fire up a AAA game, have a little wander around, like strangle a couple of people and steal their outfits, <laughs> yeah, and then just turn it off again. You know, for some reason, that's a very attractive proposition. I don't know what it says about us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that says perhaps more about us than the product, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I do agree, though. I do agree. Um, I do like that idea, especially because. So I think games like Hitman, uh, they do require like if you're gonna go for a start to finish in one mission, it's like a th- two to three hour endeavor. Um, so this idea, uh, this idea of suspending and pausing and being able to resume immediately where you were, I think is for people who are time strapped, just the only way you could play those games. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's interesting because consoles have been doing it for quite a while now, and PC yeah. games haven't. Mm. <laughs> and like, uh, if you get an Xbox now, I, I briefly bought myself an Xbox Series S last year, mm. um, which is a lovely little thing actually. I, I really recommend it, and I only got rid of it when I realised I could still get my sort of Steam Deck. Um, but like the suspend stuff they do on that is amazing. You can have multiple games suspended at once. You can. You know, you can sort of, uh, they do incredible things with that um, to make it really easy to kind of pick up and play really, really, click, really, really quickly. Um, you know, PS5 has those like, that amazing, like solid state hard drive that means you just sort of turn it on and bing, you're in your, you're in Elden Ring straight away. Yeah. And and PC games really been lagging behind on that. So I think, yeah, the suspend feature on the, on the Steam Deck is uh, a great leap forward for that kind of stuff. It sounds amazing. Uh I guess it's limited at the moment by stock. So I put in, I think I paid like four quid to put a pre-order yeah. in for whenever it comes out. And I, it feels as though it's going to be towards the end of the year when I get it. So it's kind of, it's a bit frustrating. I, I know Valve makes specialist hardware, but it's a bit frustrating that, you know, if it's a really good product, it couldn't be more, you know, produced more widely, more widely available. But, you know. There's some excellent maniacs on uh, Reddit um, using like really Byzantine techniques to try and work out when theirs are going to arrive. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like exactly precisely in the queue where they came and sort of, you know, hacking into their uh, invoices of, of that £4 deposit to work out um, when it can come. I mean, mine, mine is, the, mine is the, the cheapest model, the one with the 64 gigabyte hard drive which isn't big enough it's just not big enough at all like Mm. after the steam all the stuff that steam installs on there you haven't got much more than like 20 or 30 gig to deal with which is is it modular though could could you slot a yeah so i just i just got myself a 60 uh 250 gigabyte sd card you know which has only cost like 20 quid off amazon or whatever 15 quid and that 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 solves it um you know the, the the speed difference is is negligible um 
and so yeah, that I had to do that. But that really isn't, you know, I had a, I was there was a bit of a panic when I first got it because I put in a cheapy SD card, and that just caused all sorts of problems. <laughs> and I thought, oh my right. god, it's, it's got a faulty, you know, like internet card, or it's you know because it just wasn't connected to the internet. And then I realized, oh no, it's just like maybe the SD card I've been using in my Switch for like five years isn't in the best of health, and I maybe should just get a new one. And that sorted it out immediately. It does feel, um, as though Valve, like the ethos, I still feel as though, you know, they do want other technology to work with their stuff. Like it, It's not quite open source, but it's it should accept other technology. And so you should be able to easily uh, introduce an extra sort of hard drive slot. So it's good to hear that that's still the case, um, as long as you do, don't get like a terrible one. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's interesting that the like one of the videos they put out, you know, around the time of of when they were announcing it, was like a video of like, here's how you take apart your Steam Deck. Don't do mm. it; it would be stupid to do it. But here's how you do it if you want right. to, you know. Um, which I guess is kind of testament to their kind of ethos about it. Um, and yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how how the next year develops with it. I, I think, like I say, I think they deserve to sell a whole bunch of them. To be honest, I think it's a great product, but it'll be interesting to see how much the industry kind of accommodates them. Because the when a game gets a little verified green tick on a Steam Deck, mm. uh, you know, to mean it will run perfectly and has been optimized to do so, they always do, apart from Deathloop, which ran like shit. But apart from Deathloop, mm. every game <laughs> I played, which was verified, um, ran really, really well. Like Sniper E4 runs like an absolute dream. It's such a wonderful, like... That game is like a solid seven or possibly eight out of ten, but like the fact that it's handheld and the fact that it's all optimized for you and all set up yeah. with the right settings and everything, um, and controls and stuff is just it makes it it makes it an eight out of ten, it makes it a nine out of ten if you you know pay like four quid for it. <laughs> so it's like uh, for that stuff, it's just it's just perfect, and it'll be interesting to see how much um, that is taken up um, because obviously in order to get that kind of uptake, they need to sell a whole bunch of them. And everyone's waiting in a queue. So it's, uh, you know, and, and lots of those people, I guess, will get annoyed and buy PlayStation 5s and Xbox Xs, Series Xs and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to see how successful they are with it all. It's great to hear that uh, it has actually worked out, though, like uh, that it's a, a good product. And obviously there's huge demand for it. So almost if... Um, if this fails for Valve in terms of just production lines or, you know, if this doesn't work out, the idea has been proven uh, as a kind of like a really uh, consistent handheld that lets you take your PC library online. Um, that seems like a just a great idea to me. Yeah, and they've, they've open sourced their like um, SteamOS, um, you know, operating system uh, for other people to make similar products. So, it, in you know, in the future, I mean, I'm sure there's already people around the world trying to work this out, but like, you know, in the future, you know, you would be able to get like a, you know, like a really low spec one, which could only play, you know, indie, you know, very low, um, you know, demand, graphically demanding indie games or something like that. But for a certain customer, that's going to be perfect. Um, or for yeah. another one, which an absolute monster beast, which will, you know, play, uh, everything at the highest settings and you know again that would you can you can picture a world where these things are modular and customizable a bit more and and people can take their games on the go you know uh you know with ease um you know catered catered towards them individually a bit yeah absolutely if anyone has any uh, opinions about the steam deck 
if you have one in your hands and want to contact us, then we are at Crate and Crowbar. Uh, on Twitter, um, crateandcrowbar at gmail.com on the email. Uh, we would like to uh, hopefully just find new ways to uh, interact with everyone who listens, um, whether that brings, means bringing back uh, questions for questions. Uh, we're not sure yet. We're still figuring all that stuff out. Um, but I would like to say thank you so much, Jamie, for joining me tonight. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really fun. And uh, I would say only thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Baby, 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 baby.